There we go. Um, yeah, I wanted them to, they're kind enough to put that song together because I, I think it reflects pretty well um, what I want to try to share this morning. Although I was super tempted to uh, just pull an audible and talk about the myth of redemptive violence, but because um, that's super relevant now, but, but I won't. I'll stay on track. Um, so I, I, uh, I, I was, I've been a, last time I, I shared with you guys, I was just jumping into um, hospital chaplaincy work. And so it's been a few months now of doing that work. Um, and lots of things I've learned, some surprises. Um, like, <laughs> when you, it's not the most ideal job to talk about when, like, you're at a party and someone's like, what do you do? <laughs> you're like, I'm a hospital chaplain. <laughs> they're, like, they're like, immediately, you see other faces, like, they regret asking that. <laughs> it's like, you just talk to people that are dying? Yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> so, it's, not, it's not like, hey, do you want to keep watching the game now? Yes, I do, please. Um, so <laughs> it's, not, it's not the best ga- uh, career to, I thought that was going to be funnier. Um, so, uh, so anyways, I've learned a lot. Uh, and I think probably the thing I've learned the most has been, uh, I've learned a lot about the nature of empathy and, and how does that look for me to discover that. So I just wanted to share um, some thoughts on empathy this morning. And um, it's, it's, you'll notice it's, it's definitely under construction. My, some of those thoughts, uh, I'll be borrowing a lot from Brene Brown because I'd be remiss not to. Um, but I think it really matters in our world today. Um, what it looks like to become more empathetic people. So I, one of the differences I've noticed right away is when we say, when we want to be empathy, empathetic, oftentimes what we default to is sympathy. And there's a very important difference between sympathy and empathy, right? Sympathy is feeling sorry for someone, and empathy is feeling what the other person's feeling. There's a huge difference there. Brene Brown um, has a TED talk on it and even like an animated video. You should totally watch. It's five minutes. It's great. But um, she really shows contrast the difference between sympathy and empathy by um, in the cartoon, there's a, a, someone in a hole and there's a person standing up above the hole looking down. Sympathy is, is exactly that. It's, it's saying, hey, you're in a hole and um, you should get out of that hole. You know, I feel bad that you're in that hole, um, but you should come out and and join me up here. That's sympathy, okay? Uh, and sympathy is necessary in a world, and it's, there's nothing um, inherently bad about sympathy. It's just not empathy. Empathy is not standing above the hill, above the hole looking down. It's actually climbing down in the hole with the person, putting your arm around them, and saying, uh, you're not alone. I'm with you. I love you. I understand how dark it can get down here. That's empathy. A very huge difference. And I think our world needs empathy in our lives um, t- today. Um, another difference is it's, uh, sympathy would be more prescriptive in nature. Empathy is more narrative in nature. Empathy seeks to um, draw out of the other person their unique story, their narrative. And the more we enter into their story, the more we're actually able to make a real um, healing, transformational, spiritual connection with the other. Um, but again, we quickly, at least I do, default to prescriptive. I, I, I love to become Mr. Fix-It. Like that's, I don't know where I picked that up, but oh my gosh, it's so hard to shake. A few days ago, I've been married for 16 years, 
And I've learned this lesson so many times. And, and yet, just a few days ago, Laura came home from a hard day at work. She's venting to me about it. And I'm like, you should go in and tell your boss this. And, and she just had to stop me yet again. We have had this conversation so many times. And, and she's just like, hey, I don't need you to fix it. I just need you to listen. And I'm like, okay. So, you know, I turn in my chaplain, put my chaplaincy hat back on because um, it falls off easy. Uh, anyways, I just, I just want to learn that lesson for good because... Um, because nine times out of ten, people aren't interested in us fixing them. They just, they want to be seen. You know, they want to feel known. They want us to sit in the hole with them for just a moment. Um, and, and through that lens, I've noticed that's really where the work, my work as a hospital chaplain differs from all other care providers is uh, there's a, there is a difference between the kind of questions a doctor asks and the kind of questions that I ask of a person. And my goal as a hospital chaplain when I enter to the, in a room of a patient and the goal of other care providers, both are very, very, very important. But um, ultimately, a doctor's job, as Henry Nowen puts it, a doctor's job is to take away pain. A minister's job is to take pain to such a level that it can be shared. And... Um, and that requires entering into someone's story. You see this too, the difference between, uh, between sympathy and empathy, even in the incarnation of, of, of God. Sympathy would be God staying in heaven and looking down on us and saying, oh, you know, like you're kind of getting mad at each other and you should fix some things. Empathy is, is when the word became flesh and dwelt among us, as the Bible says. And he became one of us. That's empathy. It really makes me appreciate um, Jesus that much more. Uh, it's even impacted how I see the cross, because I, I used to only see the cross in prescriptive kind of ways, Mr. Fix-It kinds of ways, that the cross came to solve the problem, and I'm the problem. Um, that God came to suffer for me. Uh, but I'm realizing that um, in addition to that, and, and maybe for me at least recently, more beautifully, than that is that God didn't just come to suffer for me, he came to suffer with me. Uh, it's, um, there's really great work called Liberation Theology that's, that's really um, changed my view of the cross, and I'd recommend looking into that. It's been so helpful for me. James Cone is, is probably the founder of a lot of that thought, but it's a God that stands in solidarity with me and, and, and suffers with me. Um, that's the kind of God I can trust, you know. Because reality is this, um, now we're off script, the reality is God didn't solve a whole lot of problems in our world when he came and hung on the cross. He just didn't. Um, I mean, there's still wars. There's still suffering. There's still loss and grief. There's also still joy and beauty, you know? But um, I, I, I can understand a God that would suffer with me because I feel understood by that kind of God. And I think that's wonderful for me. So empathy requires um, feeling what the other person's feeling. It's, it, and, but if, if we're going to actually feel what the other person feels, um, that means we're going to have to enter into their story. And if we're going to really enter into their story, we have to understand and be aware of our story. And I didn't realize this going into chaplaincy that that was going to be so much needed that I would need to do some mo- so much internal work before I can actually adequately care for others. Um, that those are intertwined. They, they can't separate. And, and uh, so 
so I'll give you an example. Uh, Mr. D uh, came to the hospital, and um, uh, I work. So I, I work at the. I just finished up at the VA, and I'm going to start at Harborview soon. But the VA is uh, obviously a, a military veteran hospital, and so uh, at this stage of life or this time of, of life right now, a majority, vast majority of the patients are Vietnam vets. And uh, Mr. D would, would certainly fall in that category. And for whatever reason, he decided to take his time with me as a chaplain. We met several different times. And he really wanted to um, confess. Uh, and, and what Mr. D confessed with me was some of the most horrific war crimes um, you can imagine. Like the worst of the worst things that he, he has done. Um, and, um, and that creates a moral injury. This, again, we're off. But... It, that, it's the idea that, like, uh, PTSD is the idea that, um, that post-traumatic stress syndrome uh, is, is the idea that you, like, something traumatic happened in your life and you have repercussions from that. Moral injury is similar but different, where um, he would say, well, I was just following orders, but, but there's still a hole that was created in his soul because of what he did. And he has to justify that somehow. And he keeps saying over and over again, I was just following orders, but there's there was something significantly changed in your, in your soul, on a soul kind of level. And you have to address that, right? You have to get to that. Um, oftentimes those things coincide, but um, I, I would say, I would argue too, all of us have probably experienced some kind of moral injury where we did something that is not okay for our soul. And we have to, we have to justify that. We have to allow that to be reconciled and healed, right? That's spiritual work we're talking about at that point, right? So um, back on script. Uh, so he's sharing with me all these things, and, um, and uh, he's crying. I'm sitting there with him. Uh, I can tell he's pretty um, broken up about it. I go, and I, I get a tissue for him. I give him the t- tissue, and I try to redirect the conversation to um, forgiveness and the possibility of forgiveness in his life and to heal that moral injury. So I'm, I'm debriefing this, this whole um, meeting with my cohorts, and we're kind of analyzing it. We're doing a, um, a verbatim about it, and, um, and my supervisor stopped when he, he read the part about me giving the patient the tissue, and he's like, Did, was he not able to get his own tissue? And I, I said, what? Um, no, it was right there next to his bed. I, I just thought I would be polite and get it for him, um, which I'm realizing. I have an issue with being too polite to the point of being dishonest, but which is classic Seattle, by the way. It's kind of what we do, right? Oh my gosh, we're so relationally stunted here. But, um, but uh, back on script. Uh, so he, so my supervisor brought out that, like, he's like, "Why did you do that? And why did you move towards forgiveness?" Um, so we traced it all the way back, and I was like, "I'm not really sure." He's like, "You should look into that." Um, uh, Sacophum, I think it's called, looking behind. And so I traced it back, all the way back to my childhood. Um, I grew up in a, um, a pretty dysfunctional home. Uh, my dad was, uh, was, there was a period of his life where he was very suicidal, extremely depressed. And he would come home from work for several months on end, come home from work, grab a beer, and sit in the front room of our house with all the lights off. And the rest of us would just kind of carry on. We would just walk on eggshells and just quietly avoid that room. And I realized I was doing the same thing all over again. That I, I want to just, I don't want to actually go into the room. But that's, that's what Mr. D needed. It's for me to sit in the dark with him for a while. And I had never learned how to do that. 
In fact, I'm terrified of that. So here's the step, though, okay? So I, I, I'm aware of where that came from, right? But then you got you to gotta have compassion on that kid. Because me as a 10-year-old, I didn't know any better. I was, do, you know, I was doing what I needed to do. But also realizing that, like, my childish methods are not going to solve adult problems. Like, I need to grow. Right? So I love that 10-year-old. He did nothing wrong but also realizing that, like, it's time to grow. It's time to sit down in the dark with people because that's what we really need, right? And, uh, and so that's what I'm talking about when I say, like, we have to understand our own story in order to better enter into someone else's story. Otherwise, um, we'll continue to use our childish methods to solve adult problems. And we have to develop compassion for ourselves. In fact, the Buddha said, if your compassion does not include yourself, it is incomplete. So empathy requires engaging our feelings um, in order to better engage other people's feelings. And that's, that's why we don't do this. That's why we struggle in empathy, right? Because no one wants to go back to when they were 10 and they they had this relatively traumatic experience, and, you know, no one wants to go back there. I get it. I don't want to either, but if we're really, uh, Richard Rohr says this, that whatever's not uh, transformed is ultimately transmitted. You know, we we, we got to grow, right? We got to address that stuff, and we got to understand our unique story in order to better care for others and enter their stories. And so, with Mr. D, um, if I had to do it over again, I, I, would, um, I would understand what I'm trying to do and how that doesn't work anymore and enter into his darkness. But I would also attempt to feel what he was feeling. And that's, so you got to address what, what happened, but then you also got to move on to like, okay, then how do I actually, now that I understand my story, how do I enter into his story? And I, I ran into some, some, um, some pitfalls when it comes to trying to feel what the other person's feeling as well. Um, I call it like the kind of the false me too. Um, what I mean by that is me, the words me too, the phrase, is um, two of the most refreshing words in the English language, right? I mean, that's, it's so nice to feel like someone has had the experience that you've had. But we've also, all of us, I'm sure, have experienced some pitfalls around that. You ever like share your story and then the person right out that heard that right afterwards, in an attempt to relate to your story, shares a similar story, but it also unintentionally has a way of like depreciating your story or even dismissing it. At worst, it's like a one-upmanship. Like, you think that's bad, listen to this. And where does that leave your story? It's minimized. It's reduced. It's, it could even be dismissed. And we do this unintentionally because we want to relate to the person, so we share something similar, but it could unintentionally like dismiss or reduce like the power of their unique story, right? Um, the other end of that, though, is we don't do like a what-upmanship. We do what I used to do as a youth pastor, which is like the uh, false equivalency. <laughs> is anyone been to, like, whatever do the youth group thing or something? If you've been in youth group, you know this. It's because it's, it's full of false equivalencies because these guys are all like, 
20-something, and they just don't know any better at all. So they just make the most reckless uh, statements. Like, you know, they'll tell some story, it's a dramatic story about losing a Seahawk ticket, you know, and, oh, we were so mad because they were going to play the Niners, and we just lost this. And I bet you also know the how to experience loss, don't you? Maybe some of you have lost a child. or like, It's like, what? In the, like, the, the, the segues are brutal. Like, you're like, what? I only know that because I did that. Like, it was like, oh, yeah. Because you just don't, you're just like pushing through and you're trying to like relate and you're just, you're just ignorant. You're just wildly ignorant of, of actual loss and grief and trauma of other people. So we can one-upmanship or we can make a, draw a terrible false equivalency and... And neither of those actually honors the, the unique story of the other. So what I've learned to do is um, to not ignore my story because it's super important, but in order to enter into that person's story, I need to not relate the, my story, I need to relate the feelings of that story, right? So when Mr. D, if I had to do it over again, is sharing about his stories from Nam, and I re- realize he's experiencing some deep, amount of shame, right? Not guilt, shame. Then it's up to me to go back and trace back to my stories. When did I really experience the significant shame as well? And I'm not going to relate the story of that. I am going to um, awaken those feelings so I can better have empathy for Mr. D. Does that make sense? I'm going to realize, like, how, that, how did that feel? To feel so ashamed so when he shares with me, I'm able to be like, oh my gosh, I get it. Because otherwise, if we don't access how we felt, then um, we'll just kind of be, it feels like it's, you're sharing into a vacuum, you know? And people do this in the name of professional distance. But what we really want is for someone to get us, to understand how we're feeling. And that means you need to access your own feelings. And that's exactly why we don't want to do it, right? <laughs> Because our entire society has conditioned us to try to avoid feeling anything. Whether it's alcohol or um, streaming through some social media, all of those elements are meant to um, give us a stimuli that buffers us so that we don't actually have to feel what's going on in our lives. But if we don't feel, then we won't be able to relate to someone else's feelings. Um, Let me get back on track here. Ultimately, I think it's, a, it's an act of remembering to go back and trace back. Oh, that's, I remember how that felt. And that's how I get you. I understand. Oh, my gosh, that must be awful. Uh, and this is in Scripture, too. Uh, in Exodus chapter 22, I, I love this verse. You might not have thought of it from this way, but it says, You must not mistreat or oppress foreigners in any way. Remember, you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. Uh, I think that's great. God's just trying to help them understand empathy, right? It's like, don't forget, you used to be a foreigner, you used to be an immigrant, you used to be a refugee. You, you know what that, how that felt. So don't mistreat other people that are feeling the exact same way, but remember how that felt so that you can better engage and love and honor the story of the other and empathize with how they're feeling now. I mean, God's just asking us to remember so that we can better engage and love. We can be more human, really, is what that's inviting us into. Um, it's, a, it's an idea of choosing to feel. 
and we're always afraid it's going to cost us too much. Um, Brene Brown uh, puts it this way. She goes, empathy is not finite, and compassion is not a pizza with eight slices. When you practice empathy and compassion with someone, there is not less of these qualities to go around. There's more. And love is the last thing we need to ration in this world. So if we're going to feel, that means we actually have to be in our bodies. And we were talking about this um, beforehand, how much meditation and mindfulness, body scans have been so important to me. It's crazy if you just don't, like when I, at least for me, when I take time to be present in my body, like actually, it's crazy what I uncover, you know? It's like, oh, I didn't know my, didn't realize my, my, my breath was so shallow. Like just now, literally, I was like, oh, I could probably breathe a little deeper. <laughs> but I'm feeling a little anxious because, you know, I'm talking. And, but wow, it would be nice to just breathe a little slower. And I didn't realize how my heart was racing a little bit. Or other times, it's like I didn't realize how much tension is in my shoulders or in my stomach. You know, have you ever noticed, like, like sometimes I'll, I'll, I won't even notice, like, my... Um, my jaw is, is like flexed in a way that's like, oh my gosh, I've been doing that for how long today? And I just noticed it. This is what it looks like to be in our bodies, to be aware of how we're feeling. And if we're not in our bodies, we'll never be able to embody the life of Christ to others. You have to be present and aware of this is where I am, and this is how I feel, and this is what's going on. I need to be present in order to better enter into the story of another, um, in order to better listen, really. And so lastly, um, empathy has to do about being present. It's about choosing to feel. It's about understanding our story so that we can enter into the story of another. It's narrative. It's not prescriptive. Uh, and the last thing I want to talk about is that it's, um, empathy requires us having a certain level of comfort with grief. Um, and I think in our, in our world today, it is, it's, it's remarkable how uncomfortable we are with experiencing grief. Like, I've, I've, been, with, I, I've been with parents when they've lost a child, and I've, been with, um, I've, I've conducted funerals, and, um, and I can't tell you how often someone has come to me who's experiencing grief, and they'll be crying, and then they apologize. Like, I'm sorry for crying. What? If you can't cry at a funeral, like, when, when would you be able to cry? You know that's why um, some of these uh, movies and TV shows, like This Is Us, that's why those are so popular. Um, I think Rob Bell talks about this, how they, they actually give us a permission to cry. And so we, we need to release that pressure valve, and we know that. Like, we're not aware of it, but our body is telling us, you got to release that pressure valve. So watch a really sad movie that will make you cry, and it gives you permission because it's actually about someone else, but really it's actually about you too, and you just need to release a pressure valve, and your body's telling you that you, didn't, you weren't listening. And that, it's, but it's true. It's actually, that's why those are so popular. And we need to get more comfortable with the idea of grief. That, that, that's part of the human experience is to grieve, to experience loss. Also, I've realized, like, what it would look like if I cared for others. I lived my life the way I act at a funeral. Because at a funeral, I've, I've learned some things, you know, that I've learned, whatever, for starters, when someone says apologize for crying or they apologize for not giving me enough, enough attention because I'm the officiant of the funeral, like, or whatever it might be, I just, I've realized that, like, just to make it really clear to them that there's nothing you'll ever need to worry about doing that will offend me. 
Like, I just, I'm just thankful to be here. And I want you to know, I, that's my whole agenda, is I just want to be here for you. And I'm going to be present, and I'm going to be here, emotionally here. But you don't need to worry about offending me or apologizing for anything. What if I live my life the way I conduct myself at a funeral? Imagine how caring and charitable and empathetic I would start to discover as the relationships around me. Because the reality is, is grief is all around us. The reality is there's a lot of funerals happening. We're just not aware of it. I know this is like a Debbie Downer. I totally get it. That's why I don't talk about my job at a funeral. Uh, uh, sorry, at a party, right? <laughs> it's because like, people typically would just rather watch the game. But that's the reality of the human existence is, is we all experiencing a lot of funerals. And what I mean by that is it's not just, I shouldn't say the phrase it that way. Grief is, only, is not only a loss of a person. Grief could be a loss of a job, a loss of a relationship, a loss of independence, a loss of a marriage, a loss of meaning, a loss of our health, a loss of a pet, a loss of belonging. I, I, I know all of you well enough to know that um, some of us have experienced a real loss of faith. Like it's been a real season of deconstruction, and there's things you used to believe about God that have died. I get it. Me too. Right? But we've got to be aware of that. That's part of life, as things die. Things we care about die. Um, Peter Rollins puts it this way. He goes, most of the references in the gospel to death is not talking about a death that is after life. It's a death within life. And that's what I find so much hope in the story of Jesus and Lazarus. If you're not familiar with that, uh, Lazarus is his, his friend, and he's died, and he's been dead for a few days. And Jesus comes along. There's a lot to that story that's actually really beautiful about the human experience. But, but the, um, it, what happens is the first thing he does is he cries. And the, and the Bible, if, you, if, you're a big, if, you're, if you're a Sunday school um, type or you're the youth group, you probably heard it explained to you as um, the shortest verse of the Bible because it's two words, Jesus wept, right? I think it's interesting, though, to point out that the same Jesus that wept is the same one that knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. So that tells me that grief and hope can coexist. These are not mutually exclusive ideas. That's sometimes why Christians have a really hard time with grief because they think they are. But we hold both, because that's what it means to be human. And in that story, that's what I see. I see Jesus describing to us what it looks like to be human, to be aware of grief and to be aware of hope. And this is what we're invited into. I mean, this ultimately is what communion is. Again, that's why Jesus says, like, do this in remembrance of me. Communion, the, the, the elements of the bread and the, and, the wa- and the wine, this isn't just Jesus' story, right? This is our story. This is the awareness that um, to be fully human means that we experience grief, we experience loss, there is death, but then also we experience hope. And I have learned that the more I'm aware of grief, the more confident I become in the resurrection. And that is not to to have one overshadow the other in any stretch, to fully experience both, but, but this is what it means to be human, 
is to experience life, death, and resurrection. And as we experience it, we realize there's actually a lot of solidarity in that. We develop empathy on the other way through it. Oh my gosh, I'll leave you with this and then we'll do this thing. I don't remember who stated it. It's quoted by someone. But my buddy Ryan put it on his Insta like three weeks ago and it's haunted me like, like the best kind of Holy Ghost. And it is very simply the statement, um, the way out is through. It's true. Some of you, some, some of us, all of us, are in the middle of some kind of funeral. And the way out is through. And on the other end, you develop empathy. So when the others are in the midst of it, you sit with them in it so you both can come out the other end. The way out is through.